starting lyrics from Alvin Lee so long ago. Uh, it's Friday. It's the 5th. I kind of thought it had thought it was the 6th, but it's the 5th of April here today. Uh, and of course, being Friday, we got Brent with us. Chris joined us right before we went on the air. And uh, so uh, it's, I always look forward to the Friday shows for a number of reasons. It's the weekend, of course. And when we originally started this, Brent, you'll remember I had a time slot in the afternoon. And it was a Friday afternoon thing, which even l- l- tended to lead more into the weekend. Uh, but it's a good uh-huh. show. We, we we cover a lot of different things. You bring so much historical and factual things to the table for us to ponder on and, and learn about. And so it's just always I look forward to it. I, I think you do, too. I don't want to speak for you, but uh, that's what I sense. <laughs> and I know a lot of the audience does because I've heard it over the years. So uh, you had a good week. Everything's okay, huh? Yeah, Roger. I got news here just a little bit ago, and just before we got on, I – called a man and a woman here not far away that I thought could help me fill in the gaps. And what had happened was uh, there was a judge in a little rural county down here along the Wabash River called White County, White County, Illinois. And the judge in that county ruled that the state of Illinois, the requirement that you got to have a card to possess a firearm is unconstitutional. Yes. And this is American this is American law at its best. Local county judges, uh, judges of courts of unlimited jurisdiction as a practical matter, uh, unlike the federal courts of limited jurisdiction, this court is of unlimited jurisdiction. There's no remedy that these little county courts cannot provide if they will but take the nettle and do it. And he said this is unconstitutional and if You'll give me a little indulgence. The order is short. I'd like to read it. Can I do that? Oh, absolutely. Well, it says this in the circuit court for the second judicial district of White County, White County, Illinois, 14 February, 2018. Uh, People of the state of Illinois versus Vivian Claudine Brown. By the way, Vivian apparently had a 22 caliber bolt action rifle she kept in the corner uh, in the mud room or something by her house Brent, there. Brent, can I ask, you yeah. said 18 or 19? Oh, this says February 14th, 18. But the reason it's new is because I said they just filed it. What happened was, to be more clear, the Attorney General of the United, of the United States, the Attorney General of the state of Illinois has decided to take it up to the Supreme Court. And um, so that's where it is lodged apparently now. I'm going to try to follow up more on that. But I don't believe these kind of stories. I've learned not to unless I get the, the order from the court, duly stamped and all, because there's so much baloney floating around out there. Oh, this and some judge said that. And But this is, I've got the file stamp here. It's the 14th of February, 2018, and I'm going to follow up to get the case as it's lodged in the Supreme Court of the state. But the order says this, order finding statute unconstitutional. On this 14th day of February, 2018, this court, after examining the defendant's motion to find the statute unconstitutional, 
and being fully, at, fully advised in the premises, finds as follows. First, he says this court has jurisdiction of the parties hereto and the subject matter hereof. That's fancy talk, but that means I can I have right to do what I'm about to do. And then he says the facts of this case are undisputed and are fully set forth in defendant's motion to find stat, state statute unconstitutional filed herein 26 September 2017. So this has been going on for a while, but it's just coming to the forefront because of the Supreme Court inter- involvement. That's the, the state, statute in, that's the state, state Supreme, Supreme Court. Court. Yeah. Correct. This, the statute in question is 40 Illinois Statute 652A1, which provides for the following. It says this, and this has been the law, by the way, since 1968 when the feds passed what they called the Firearms uh, Control Act of 1968 or something. Uh, The statute says this in Illinois. No person may acquire or possess any firearm within this state without having in his or her possession a firearm owner's identification card previously issued in his or her name by the Department of State Police under the provisions of this act. And then it goes on to say each applicant for a firearms owner identification card must make application of blank forms prepared and furnished by the Department of State Police. And each applicant for a firearm owner's identification card shall furnish to the Department of the State Police his or her photograph. And then the judge goes on to say this. 430 U.S.C. 65.5 provides in part that in order to obtain a firearm owner's identification card, a person must submit to the Department of the State Police payment of a $10 fee. Now, when this first requirement first came out in 1968, people didn't bat an eye. And the truth is, it's never been enforced. Never. Some people did it. They thought it was a patriotic thing to do during the heat of the Cold War and the height of our involvement in Southeast Asia. And they were all anti-communist and said, well, this will be the step we'll take to maybe involve men and the militia here and, and help, help and keep the peace. But, of course, that wasn't it at all. And they wanted $10. But Article 1, Section 22 says this order of the Constitution of the State of Illinois states as follows. Subject only to the police power, the right of the individual citizen to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, most folk will recognize the similarity of that language with the Second Amendment of the General Constitution of the United States, which uses the word infringed also. And then he quotes the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution, which says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And then he says the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution provides as follows, quote, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. And then he goes on. The judge says that the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution incorporates the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms for the purpose of self-defense and is applied to the states. And he cites McDonald versus City, City of Chicago from 2010. Thus, the Second Amendment protects the right to keep and bear arms for the purpose of self-defense. He cites District of Columbia versus Heller, which is a sister case to McDonald of 2008. And Heller found, and he's going to quote the Supreme Court of the United States, that the inherent right of self-defense has been central to the Second Amendment, and the home is where the need for defense of self, family, and property is most acute. Then he goes on. He says, in this case, 
the facts show the defendant possessed a gun in her house for the purpose of self-defense without a FOID card. Now, I got it on secondhand information that the gun in question was a 22 caliber bolt action, old bolt action 22 caliber rifle that most every farmer in the Midwest has probably somewhere to shoot varmints with. But the court goes on. To require the defendant to fill out a form, provide a picture ID, and pay a $10 fee to obtain a firearms owner identification card before he can exercise his constitutional right to self-defense with a firearm is a violation of the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution as applied to the states and a violation of Article One, Section 22 of the Constitution of the State of Illinois applied to this case only. Trying to make his ruling narrow. Uh, then he says, based upon the foregoing, the court finds the statute in Illinois 40. 430 Illinois 652A1 unconstitutional as applied to this case. The court further finds that this statute cannot, in this case, reasonably be construed in a manner that would preserve its validity and this finding of unconstitutionality is necessary to the decision of this case and this decision cannot rest upon an alternate ground. This court finds, therefore, Supreme Court Rule 18 has been complied with and it is ordered it is ordered that 430 Illinois Statute 652A1 is unconstitutional as applied to the defendant herein. Approved as to form, Denton Odd, State's Attorney for White County, and Alan C. Dowden, Attorney for Defendant. I like to mention those boys' name because they approved of the form, approved of, the form of this. Well, at any rate, that's what happened in little White County, and it had not come to my knowledge, until just before we got on the air, because it has now apparently been decided it's going to go to the Supreme Court of the state. It'll be worth watching. I uh, saw that headline this week at some point, uh, it seems to me. I didn't read the story. But um, what I really found interesting was the judge's reasoning of incorporating the Second Amendment in under the 14th for the purpose of self-defense. A very yeah, interesting the- line of reasoning, and and, and it just uh, I've never seen, I have not heard of, and maybe other been other people that have done it, judge wise, but I thought that was kind of novel. Well, it, it's novel as to the Second Amendment, but a whole lot of the rest of the fundamental rights that our Bill of Rights and our United States Constitution cites, a whole lot of those have been incorporated to the yes. states. For example, the right to trial by jury of the Sixth Amendment was incorporated to the states in a case in Louisiana because Louisiana is not a common law jurisdiction like right. Quebec and Canada. Right. And so they, they didn't have trial by jury down there in capital cases until after 1968. But the Supreme Court said, now, wait a minute. Some The fellow got convicted down there without a jury, and he said, now, wait a minute. He said the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, says I'm a citizen not only of the state of Louisiana, but a citizen of the United States. And citizens of the United States have rights uh, that are protected. So he said, I have a right to trial by jury. And he took it all the way up, went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court came back to the state of Louisiana and said, now, wait a minute, boys. Uh, this fellow has a right to trial by jury because he's a citizen of the United States. You've got to give him one before you chop his head off, send him to the electric chair, or give him a necktie party. And so they said, okay, okay. Is a six-man jury okay? And I think the way I remember it, they said, yeah, that's okay. Six men, man's okay. Of course, six man is not okay. It has to be 12 to be a common law jury, and it has to be 12 to do the job. And uh, 
experience has shown us through the centuries that 12 is the number. And that's a fascinating subject and a fascinating study in and of itself. But all the other rights, for example, innocent until proven guilty, uh, the right to remain silent, the right to be free uh, from uh, the hindrance of Congress and of the state legislatures of religion, all of those things have been incorporated through the 14th Amendment to the states. Now that, see, locks Roger, here's what that does. Uh, the, the people that drafted and uh, ratified the Constitution of the United States never figured on all this. The only reason the Constitution was written was to limit the general government in Washington, D.C., so it could not interfere in anything the states wanted to do. If the states wanted to outlaw firearms, get rid of freedom of religion, freedom of speech, that was their business. Yep. That was the way it was viewed back then. Yep. But, but with the 14th Amendment then came the opportunity, which came decades and decades, not till after World War II to, did this incorporation business start, where the Bill of Rights was incorporated to the states through the 14th Amendment. Now, people say, well, we, we like that. We like the idea that the Bill of Rights is incorporated to us as United States citizens as well as citizens of states. But, of course, the downside of that, I know you could probably talk from out of the cows come home about that, Roger. Yes, and, you know, I was thinking about this in some of those seminars where John taught us this stuff. And uh, I mentioned it the other day that I remember under the general heading of rights, you've got two separate groups of rights. You've got political rights and you've got civil rights. And the political uh -huh. rights are to be able to run for office, to be able to vote, all the things to do with the, the, the body politic. The civil rights are all the rights that you get interacting in society with other people. And with the 14th Amendment, all they got was civil rights. They didn't give them any political rights. Yes, I understand. But I... I understand, too, that people would be upset if you tried to say, well, we need to just get rid of it because it's unconstitutional. Um, not that I agree with them. I'm just making the point. The state, the state stat or the state constitution in Illinois or, and in most of the states tracks with the, um, the United States Constitution respecting the right to keep and bear arms. So do we really need this incorporation? Matter of fact, all of the other rights that are common law rights, that's why they're in our state constitutions. They're all there. Do we need the 14th Amendment? No. That's the question. No, That's it, the question. No, no. They, they needed it to centralize and federalize everything to be able to bring this system in. Um, that, there was something real interesting came out of Chicago. I watched part of it last night. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this, and I don't know that you've seen it yet. Probably some of the audience has. They had a big meeting up in Chicago with this guy that's the president of the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh did you did you huh? see, have you seen this yet, Brent? Um, uh -huh. And he got the well, he got the board of directors of the Fraternal Order of Police, and he got every police chief from every municipality in Cook County there, and they unanimously demanded that this attorney that dropped the Smollett case up there resign. Every police officer uh, uh, in yeah. Cook County. Okay. I mean, it was a real impressive, about a 25-minute press conference, and I watched, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes of it. But uh, 
uh, was very interesting. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. And then last week, you had all the Republicans on the Intelligence Committee, nine of them, Jim Jordan, Nunes, and some other ones of note, got together and demanded Adam Schiff resign because of lack of confidence. I, two in one week. I mean, it's really interesting to me. Well, then this whole thing about Biden, um, the, I understand the attacks are coming against him. Oh, yeah. From the, Demo- the new Democratic Party, they call it. Every every direction. <laughs> He's supposed to make his first public appearance yeah, literal, or something. Man. Yeah, Chris, come on. Chime in here, man. Well, this particular situation regarding the resignation of the assistant district attorney that took up the small Eck case was absolutely a politically directed associate of the Kamala Harris, the Hillary Clinton gang, sure. Rahm Emanuel, and other political activists, uh, communitarian Zionist communist uh, groups in the Chicago, Illinois, a very corrupt state in particular. And it appears that the FOP, the police agencies, the law enforcement bodies there, have reached a breaking, a tipping point. Yep. And they're fed up with these political decisions overriding their extreme amounts of due diligent forensic investigation to expose the deviosity and the what we don't know and what appears to be is that the Barack Obamas and other friends of his, Lynch Holder, whoever else, had a strong hand in directing this political activism uh, on the ground in defiance of the law of the land and in an abusive assault on the police agency powers who were trying to hold to accountable. But there are even more dangerous inferences that Smollett may have been a victim of the sex trafficking with the Nexium and the Jeffrey Epstein and the other groups of Pedophile Island. Uh, in those circles, that's part of the reason I think they're trying to... Um, they're so fed up with this crap of this uh, dark belly of the deep state operation. Well, you know, I haven't. We haven't talked about this Jesse Smollett case. I don't believe one time on the show intentionally, in one respect and another, because it really doesn't have a direct bearing on us. But it gets to this point right here, and I wanted to make one correction. I don't know if it's a correction or not, Chris. But I, let's say I wanted to make one observation on what you said. Rahm Emanuel, who is now going on the outgoing mayor of the town, publicly denounced it. Okay. Now, what has happened subsequently this morning, right before we went on the air, the uh, Chicago Fraternal Order of Police are filing a suit to sue Jesse Smollett for $130,000 for all of the time they put in on the case to the file that reportedly was eight inches deep, thick, that they just casually closed. So there's, it's going to be interesting, the backlash on all that, but I was just really commenting on th- those two specific incidences of groups, especially the Chicago one, rising up in mass, and the gal was a state's attorney. She had to get elected for that position and ran, of course, on a totally different 
platform had done some other very questionable things that the that the police chiefs they had several of them get up there and speak and each one of them used cited a different example and that this was chris the straw that broke the camel's back so it's very interesting to see the line the divide line get broader okay for brent's consideration and yours and everybody else's i just sent a uh, advisory for TSC, TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, Security's Real ID, uh, so on and so forth. And it also has some links therein of examples of the new National Terrorist Advisory Network, uh, the See Something, Say Something group. Oh. And this Real ID is an insidious, and I think one could make the case that it's constitutionally is absolutely questionable and subject to some severe scrutiny because it's effectively the same thing. They're requiring people, demanding them to contract with the government, submit themselves to licensure by registration, stratifying in the name of the corporate regis, to put themselves on a list when all they're doing is exercising their Title 18 Part 2, parenthetical E, right to travel. Uh, well, free of government intervention, although there could be a case for selective examination based upon observable facts and, let's say, circumstances of some people that might make them appear odd, subjective interpretatively as it is, but there are some scientific examinations, and I think Israel is one of the places that does it, where they do selective examining of special people rather than everybody to expose them to this innoxious government intervention. Well, don't worry. If they're doing it in Israel, they'll be doing it in our place pretty quick. Okay. Um, it, uh, this is another point for those of you out there who are considering taking a step or more down this path. This is a very legitimate reason that if you can and you can afford it, go ahead and, and get a passport if you file your affidavit because then that passport is linked to the documentation which was sent in with it by attachment, basically, by default. And uh, it's just another little thing that could be important. Don't you think? <laughs> I've got another couple of stories on court stuff that's happening here. Brent, if I can yeah, I find these. Brent, I didn't want to leave him well, uh, let's see. Um, there's, a, a, there's a Supreme Court case that came out here last week that's caused a bunch of uproar on the death penalty. What does it say, Roger? Um, it, uh, this came from Slate, which is a big uh, you know, left-wing operation and it says uh, they uh, they name and shame all the conservatives they name them and shame them Brent on the Supreme Court for this appalling opinion but okay. it's Justice Gorsuch appointed by President Trump who gets the credit for overturning 60 years of precedent on Monday 
Five justices of the Supreme Court authorized Missouri, right there close to you, to torture a man to death. In the process, they appear to have overruled decades of Eighth Amendment precedents in a quest to let states impose barbaric punishments, including excruciating executions on prisoners. Now, this, of course, is slate. The court's conservative majority has converted a once fringe view into the law of the land, imperiling dozens of decisions protecting the right of death row inmates as well as juveniles offenders. Its ruling signals the end of an Eighth Amendment jurisprudence governed by civilized standards, quote-unquote, and the beginning of a new brutal era in American capital punishment. Boy, that sounds sinister, doesn't it? Russell, oh, yeah. I, oh, it's just, I mean, they, boy, they can paint a picture, can't they? Russell Black, Buck, Bucklew, B-U-C-K-L-E-W, Russell Bucklew is a death row inmate in Missouri who suffers from a rare medical condition called cavernous hermogenia. Herma. Hell, I can't say all these medical things. He's got some medical term attached to it, okay? Do nobody, nobody else knows how. <laughs> well, you would, you would know if I was mispronouncing no. it or not. So here's what you do, Roger. If you're unsure, just act like you know exactly how to do it. Okay. And people think you're smart. Go ahead. Cavernous hermogemia. <laughs> due to this yeah. unfortunate disorder that I can't pronounce, his body is covered with tumors filled with blood vessels. Tumors okay. in Black Lou's neck and throat and lips and ugula, which make it difficult for him to breathe. They're highly sensitive and frequently squirt blood. A medical expert, Dr. Joe Zivet, has testified that if Missouri administers a lethal injection to Buckaloo, he will die a slow, agonizing death. His tumors will rupture and fill his mouth with blood, and he will suffocate to death in unbearable pain, choking and convulsing on the gurney as he dies. Well, mm -hmm. maybe the electric chair would sidestep those concerns. Uh, and it says okay. here, the Mercury News reports <laughs> that, oh, hold it, I'm not finished yet. Bucklew was convicted in the 1996 murder in Missouri of Michael Sanders, who was living with Bucklew's former girlfriend, Miss Stephanie Ray. Bucklew fatally shot Sanders at the trailer home, kidnapped and raped Ray, shot at Sanders' six-year-old son, and wounded a police officer before being apprehended, according to court papers. Gorsuch wrote for the court's majority that the Eighth Amendment does not guarantee a prisoner a painless death, something that, of course, isn't guaranteed to many people including most victims of capital crimes. Nice of someone to think of the pain of the victims that would, and what they went through for a change. Isn't that interesting? Nine to one, yeah, buddy, or eight to one. Well, that's a fascinating case. Of course, it's uh, the way of um, 
of a lot of people to take the exception, the remotest exception to the rule and make that the rule. Um, this is a rare disease. It, we don't probably know much about it. I'd say that there was probably, I don't know, but there usually is expert testimony on the other side as to what would happen in the future. We're speculating about the future. I don't know anything about the case. I don't want to weigh in on it. Maybe there's things here that I don't understand. But he makes a point when he says that there is no guarantee of a painless death. There is a guarantee of no cruel and unusual punishment. A cruel and unusual punishment, of course, is uh, pretty much of a mush word. How do you know what cruel and unusual is? Um, I think that it's safe to say that torture is wrong. Uh, matter of fact, I know that's safe. Go ahead, Roger. You want to uh, say something? Yeah, star chambers might be an example. Well, sure. Well, they used to cut people's tongues out, and they used to brand them on the cheek and, and all that, uh, cut their ears off. All those things were done in England uh, in the star chamber, which was the enforcement chamber of the people that uh, ran the tax system because they also ran the bank. So that's the way that worked. When I say the bank, whoever the money lender is, the money lenders in any country want to also have control and enforcement of the tax laws so they that they can to. make sure and get paid. Yeah, they and that's to. the way it is in America. Yep. That's the way it is in America, too. The, the Federal Reserve Bank board members put up uh, who the three choices the president has to run the Federal Reserve Bank and to run the Treasury Department, which is in control of the IRS. It's always been that way. It's just yep. that now... More people know it and understand it, and hopefully in America we'll get to thinking, now, wait a minute, uh, this has happened before, and they used to have the, the High Commission and the Star Chamber, and they used them to squelch any any uh, deviation uh, of people not wanting to pay taxes, or, and this is an important point too, anyone who didn't follow the state religion, because if you're not willing to follow the state religion, you're in that same crowd that doesn't want to pay state taxes. That oh. always goes together. Oh. And the High Commission, the High Commission in England was part of that. Did you take? Uh, did you go to church someplace and and not have a license to do that? That's what the High Commission and the Star Chamber were about, including taxation. And we wouldn't have a Fifth Amendment protection in our Constitution of the United States had not the High Commission experiences of Englishmen and uh, the Star Chamber and the tortures that went on there in the name of uh, trying to find out who was a dissenter in religious matters, uh, we wouldn't have it to be so highly protected in our own country. It had always been, been part of our common law tradition, but it came to the forefront during the Reformation in England, and in Eng only in England and was the Reformation of church and government. In all the rest of Europe, it was just of church. That's why uh, the Nazism and all those things and the, the, the communist states arose in, in, uh, in, uh, in Europe. And that didn't happen in England in the same way because the Reformation was of both because the common law was in England. But we come back to the Fifth Amendment. It's a common law protected Right? They don't have it in Sweden. They don't have the right to remain silent. And they don't have the right of free speech. Both are the flip side of the same coin. Well, we have that here. And it came about because of the tortures that went on in those two places, the Star Chamber and the High Commission, with Roger, with what they called the forced oath. In other words, they would force you to take an oath, and then they would put you under uh, torture to get the information they wanted. I'm telling you, there's just a really nice bunch of people. Yes, Chris? Well, I think a material and associated, a corollary consideration here is that Gorsuch, I think if I 
recall correctly, he was a Bush appointee, and he had a significant role in approving the torturers down in Abu Ghraib and the Cheney and uh, Bush cabal's interpretations, where they were doing these abominous acts, taking photographs. They had women abusing uh, Islamists and Muslims that were incarcerated down there. Some of them hadn't even been charged with crimes. They were merely political prisoners being uh, abducted and high, uh, taken psychopolitical warfare terrorism hostages down there and so they could be abused, tortured, sexually violated, and uh, psyche-driven to react later on and break out into being so-called lone wolf terrorists of Muslims or Islamic faith. Uh, to wreak havoc on Americans that provoked them to do so in the first place. Well, you know, this is what really aggravated aggravates me. It has for a long time, and it's one of the reasons that I left the country is because you can't challenge them, you can't stop them. They're going to do these things that are absolutely against every moral creed, legal creed, and everything in the world, and... I don't want to be represented with those people, and you, I couldn't vote them out wouldn't have made any difference if I did and I voted with my feet because I thought I could do more good from outside back in than I could in staying there that was just one there was a lot of reasons I left the country but it makes me sick and it repulses me to see the things that are going on and the things like you just went over all this crap uh, Abu Ghraib and torturing people and murdering wedding parties, parties with drones and every other despicable Sabbatean thing that's going on with our country because they control the muscle, just like you said, Brent, the muscle. Well, I, yeah, and I had forgotten. I think that I vaguely remember this this particular justice taking that attitude toward torture. You can't get away with stuff like that. You can kill a man if you have to, if he's trying to kill you, but you never, ever, ever torture people. And if we have been engaged in that, as I, it seems it's positive we have, then the price will come because the consequences of law-breaking are inevitable yep. for, a, for a man or for a country. So it's a time for Americans to get on their faces and confess to their maker what a bunch of lawless, dirty, low-down jerks they've allowed their country to become. Yep. There is no other way. There is no other way uh, to mitigate the consequences, um, the consequences of law breaking are removed only by God himself. And he doesn't just overlook it and say, I'm going to remove it. He pays the penalty, which he did. And because he's paid the penalty himself of death, we can rest easy and we can actually, if we are of a mind to confess, that means say the same thing about your law-breaking that God says, con, with, fess, to fess up, uh, to say the same thing, then the remedy is applied to you. But if you're not willing to confess it, the remedy never has been applied. I want to be clear, though, Roger, be clear. Confession doesn't bring forgiveness of law-breaking. Confession is the badge that you have been forgiven, by the way. God's sovereign in these matters. But nonetheless, that's what we need to be sensitive to is breaking God's law. And torture is a breaking of God's law. Never in all of written writs of God and throughout the Bible is torture ever, um, ever 
justified. Their killing is justified, but not torture. And this is the borderline we have to be careful about. And by the way, in all of our common law, torture is never lawful, never has been. Now, the rest of the world, the law of the city torture is the name of the game. Yeah. That's always been lawful. Now, torture has gone on here in America and in England and in other common law countries. That doesn't make it right and doesn't mean it's ever been lawful. It isn't. That's breaking of the law. Back to you, Roger. Well, uh, and it's interesting. Their agenda is just the snake eating its tail. I use the uh, that example a lot. I got two more cases of it here just to illustrate what I'm talking about. Back uh, in 1994, Brent, there was this, you know, as and this this is legitimate. Certainly passed a, uh, a law, uh, Violence Against Women Act. It was in 1994, and for women that battered you know, battering husbands and all that stuff, which is totally despicable. But uh, that was certainly a legitimate reason for that. But as usual, they've expanded it, okay? You know how they press the envelope, get the camel's nose under the tent, and then the whole camel's right in there pretty quick. Well, it seems Uh that uh, what's happening now is the camel's all the way in the tent here because the law to protect women against domestic (laughs) violence and their their shelters, guess who they're having to admit? Men. Trans, no, no. These aren't men. These are transgendered men. Now, I'm going to separate Uh myself from them. Thank you. These are transgendered men, but because of the law has gotten so broad, they're having to let them in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, and Chris said it a while ago. He was talking about these women down in Cuba or someplace, uh, Gitmo or somewhere, torturing these, these Islamic men. And um, need we be reminded that uh, when the early Jesuit fathers preached to Hurons and Choctaws, they prayed to be delivered from the vengeance of the squaws. Twas the women, not the warriors, made those stark enthusiasts pale, for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. Mm. And when you go to mm. the fields of battle even in our own on our own continent the the mutilations that were inflicted by the female of the species were beyond description and uh, the men that picked up the bodies at the battle after the battle with the little bighorn attested to that and they'd seen some of those men had seen some awful atrocities during the late war between the states back to you roger um, another one of these cases. I like that poem. I remember, where, where'd you quote that poem from? That's, uh, called the female of the species. He continues at the end of the poem about that. He says, um, scientific vivification of one nerve till it is raw and the victim writhes in anguish like the Jesuit with a squall. Whoa. All that's all that's history. It's really not that heavy a poem. It's a very insightful poem. When it first appeared in Ladies' Home Journal in 1915, uh, it was loved. The women loved it. And then later, in the 1960s, uh, it was put away because the people said it was misogynistic. That means it was a woman-hating poem, but it isn't. It's a poem that draws the clear distinction 
between the male and the female, not only of men and women, but of uh, the Himalayan peasant when he meets the bear and the cobra, uh, written by Kipling. Kipling grew up in India, so he has these illustrations from, from India and other places. But he makes the point of why the female of the species is more deadly than the male. Um, when Nag, the wayside cobra, hears the careless foot of man, he will often wriggle sideways and avoid it if he can, but his mate makes no such motion where she camps but beside the trail, for the female of the species is more deadly than the male. Then he goes through the different animals, then he makes some illustrations and talks about men and how they're cowards and how they they dare not, whether, whether fear or foolishness impels them, ere they lay the wicked low, to concede some form of trial even to their fiercest foe. Mirth, obscene, diverts their anger, doubt and pity oft perplex them in dealing with an issue to the scandal of his sex. It's true. Uh, men, women have no such time for mirth. They, have, they don't sit around and tell jokes. They can't even remember the jokes to tell. And there's a reason for that. They like, they like jokes and they laugh at jokes, but they don't swap stories and waste time because their job is much more serious and without them we wouldn't even be here not only would we have not been carried to birth but we probably would have died before many months if our mothers hadn't had that instinct that didn't have time to be distracted by mirth or foolishness back to you roger that's hmm. a good poem and very insightful too on our roles and what got us there and what separates us. Chris, did you have something to add to that before I plunge onto this next little bit of hypocrisy? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. I was listening to Brent's eloquent soliloquy and it occurred to me that uh, it's a symbiotic relationship between men and women and we both have different roles to play in symbiosis one with another to be procreators and progenitors of our offspring. And that they can't function without us, we can't function with them. If we all become a biophometic, uh, sexless hermaphrodite with organs of both or only one set of organs or neither male nor female, but a homogenation of the two, then we will eventually obliterate our own species here on this planet because the ability to procreate will be bred out of us. And that seems to be an agenda that's afoot. It certainly no question. does. Yeah, that's it. It certainly and I think does. There's, there, well, I don't think it. I know there's something refreshing to people's minds, men and women, to hear the truth and say, I want to hear somebody say the truth because there's freedom in it and there's satisfaction. I, my, my, I don't want girls to be like men. What a boring, ugly existence. And I, they don't want me to be like a woman. Uh, that would be boring and ugly to them. There's a beauty to family. There's a beauty to children, regardless of what the lesbian horrors and the sodomites say. It's not true. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, God wants men to be men and women to be women and children to obey their parents. And if we don't have that, we won't have a country. We can't have decency, just plain decency in life, unless we have the standards they become part of who we are and we love them more than we love our own selves. And the standards are that... 
There is a difference between men and women, and it's the most beautiful, wonderful arrangement. There is no government. Roger, we're talking about government. There is no government in this world if there isn't government between men and women, and if it isn't God's government. And his here, division, here. division, his division of uh, roles and jobs and duties and, and, and the emphasis that each of our psyches give us, each of us, the two sexes, and the covenant coming down to the trust settlement of God himself that he gave to our grandpa, Adam. And uh, that whole story is the first story of human relationships in the Bible of Adam and Eve and what happened there tells the whole story and it gives the answer to absolutely every problem that bobs forth from the flux of human relationships, human relationships. And that, uh, the answer is the breakdown of everything arises out of the breakdown between the relationship between that unity we call man and woman, man and wife, husband and wife. That's where all hell breaks loose out of if there is not right government there. And there can't be perfect right government there, not in this life, but we should be working toward it. And the only reason I'm here, if I have any decency in my life, any, it's just because there were some people around me that were striving hard to maintain that order. And, and some of them not doing a very good job, but still striving hard. That's what makes life possible and decency possible, and comfort and satisfaction possible, is to have folk that are willing to do that. Back to you, Chris or Roger. Well, I'll just say, uh, <laughs> Michael, uh, Michael, one of our newer listeners, he's a naturalized American, he's a Brit by birth, and he just joined us. Hey, Michael, how you doing today? Well, I guess he's doing all right. He can't get to his mute button or something. If you just want to listen in the background, that's okay. Um, yeah, there you are. There's somebody. Is that you, Mike? Yes, good morning, and thanks for asking. I'm well, and how are you all? Good, thank you. Good, good, good. Sounds good. Okay, we're just uh, pontificating some of the events of the day. Um, this is uh, the I, other... Uh, this, okay, this is the other example of... <laughs> it's funny when they get caught in a, in a trap. See, this happens right now in this great state of Mississippi, okay, who back before the Civil War, don't forget, Mississippi and South Carolina vied back and forth for the highest per capita income in the country of any states, yep. okay? Uh-huh. Well, there goes my dogs barking again. I hope that's not distracting you. Yeah, um, here. Okay, good. Um, Mississippi has, uh, back in the 80s, they when they were still a little more segregationist, I guess, they had a problem with uh, a black legislator. Let's see if I can get the whole story here. Um, it's about boycotts, anyway. And they tried to boycott this black guy. And they, the black guy, who I believe had been elected, took the case all the way to the Supreme Court, and it came back, of course, that they couldn't do that because of uh, the discrimination but with that as a history, now they're trying to pass BDS legislation. <laughs> now, I'll tell you where the line in the, there's going to be a line in the sand for us with this little bastard state that we support over there. You guys say something for a second. Let me stop these dogs. All I right, think what? that uh, Brent would be supportive of the James 1-8 a double-minded man is of unsound mind in certain all their ways when they change positions based upon the political winds that are blowing no good. 
And so it's, it's pretty preposterous to claim on one side you're against something and then a couple of months later to claim you're for it. And that teaches and speaks very clearly to their duality, their split minds, their political agendas that they're posing as public opinion. Oh, well, no question. They, Go ahead, Roger. They press the envelope. You see, here, here's kind of what happens, I think, is everything, God's got a plan and things go along in, a, in like a, the flow of a river. And in this case, the, with those plans, it's a nice, slow-moving, pretty even-flow river, all right? Well, these guys go in there and they try and deviate the water out of there. So they try and block it somehow and get more water going over to one side. It happens in the Mississippi, Brent. You know, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. And that water eddies over to the offside, and pretty soon it comes right back around and circles and meets with the other one, and the snake eats its tail. And that's what's happening in their agenda in virtually every vector today that I see. Comment. Oh, that's right. Uh, Oxbow Lakes, that's what they call them in the Mississippi Valley where the, the hairpin of the river gets so acute that it finally joins and forms a cutoff, and the water, instead of going around the hairpin, just runs straight across and leaves the hairpin, builds a levee against it. And there are thousands of those all through the valleys of not only the Mississippi, but uh, the, the Wabash has a lot of them, and, and uh, its lower reaches down uh, where it forms the border between the Illinois and Indiana. But... That's what happens to the evil empire. It has to be circular. I was in a federal case once where a very left-wing U.S. attorney who otherwise would say there is no difference between men and women, that women have the right to do any blasted thing they want, especially they have the right to contract on their own. I mean, who would say that? They don't. But in this case, it was not convenient to him to get the prosecution he wanted. So he, he said to the jury that the woman could not serve as a as a trustee of a trust arrangement and that her her husband was also trustee because she couldn't do that trying to get at the husband see to get him in a criminal prosecution and to be indicted and all and said that uh, the woman doesn't have the right to contract on her own it wasn't convenient for him at that point so that's what he said well, that's constantly the way it is with evil empire. Jesus Christ did not say, um, depart from me, ye who practice another law. He said, depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. There's a difference between people that are committed to a false law, as many are, and those that are not committed to any law at all. They'll just do whatever is convenient for the moment. Now, I would say that most people are tempted that way, have done that, and some people are wholly committed to that point of view. Some people call it situational ethics, but that's too nice. <laughs> this, is just, this is just, I'm going to fill my lust and take care of myself no matter what. I, oh, yeah, I say I believe the Bible. When it comes down to it, this part doesn't apply to me right now because I don't think it'll work. And No, that's not the way the true lawgiver operates. He just says, you break my law and you're going to suffer uh, these consequences over here, you keep it and you will suffer. You will get these good consequences over here. It just depends upon what you want to do. But there's no there's no talking about a person that is not following true law. Uh, let's put it this way. If he's not following, following true law, not committed to it, he is lawless. And that's the way these folk are. 
Well, they just change the rules as they go. Make it. We used to say that when we were kids. Just make up the rules in the baseball game or the checker game as you go. And children do that uh, because it's convenient for them. Well, that's what we're up against today. We're up against people in what we call government that are changing the rules as they go. Now, it, well, back to you, Ron. Brent, well, Brent, I was just, I got a perfect illustration of what you're talking about. There's this bulldog prosecutor up there, Mueller has had him. He was the one that handled Enron and put 440,000 people out of jail, uh, I mean, out of work at a, at Anderson, the accounting firm. And yeah, uh, he that. is evidently an absolute mad dog prosecutor. His name's Weissman, just like Chris just said. And th- those people get rewarded in that system up there. Oh, sure. Show me, said President Roosevelt. Get my legal beagles together and show me how to get around the the Constitution of the United States. And they did. Well, here's what you can do, President Roosevelt. You can just pack as many Supreme Court justices in there as you want because there's nothing in the Constitution that says how many Supreme Court justices there are going to be. So you can just go ahead and, and uh, break this unwritten rule. We uh, Don't worry about the common law. Don't worry about that. Just do whatever you want. Watch. Brent, they're wanting to do it again. Oh, they're talking that way again? Yes, what absolutely. Is, they, who, well, who's, they wanna, who's talking that way? Well, who do you think? The Democrats, of course. Oh, the oh, Sabbateans in disguise. Mm-hmm. Well, it just comes you know, down Brent, to what, 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 what? Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. Well, your commentary about uh, favoring the females in that particular story. Uh, uh-huh. Very closely parallels an incident that I experienced in this soiree where they're trying to reindict me again on a different thing on this traffic matter, and I, I had the let's call it um, some legal savvy to point out to the court, which was a judge, a Chinese judge, Cynthia S. Lun, that the court and all the women in there would certainly support the time-honored doctrine of a woman being able to change their mind at any moment. And that I was yeah. claiming the Me Too doctrine, that I had changed my mind uh, whenever I was pulled into that Seven uh, Eleven to get a cold drink, and I did not drive through with the intent to evade a traffic control device at all, but my identification of circumstances that caused me to change my position and to appear to the untrained, unsophisticated eye that I was traveling through was uh, pretty absurd that he could invent intents for me that I was intentionally doing so and therefore did not have intent. And I saw the prosecutor's body language, uh, her disheveled appearance testified that she knew she was licked at that point, which I thought was boding well for my defense. You better watch <laughs> out. If you keep using language like that, you'll be classified with Mr. Biden. Uh, legal terrorist. <laughs> you don't. I'm amazed. You don't go licking. You don't go licking the prosecution, Chris. You defeat them. Yeah. Go ahead, Brent. <laughs> I might. <laughs> well, hell, Chris yeah. is probably out there at one of them honky tonks dancing with her on a Friday or Saturday <laughs> night, knowing him. He's like the radio ranch's John Travolta. <laughs> no, no, no. You better get out of there, Chris. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'd like to get out of here if I could get this behind me. Well, they're not going to extradite you from another state for driving through a parking lot, are they? 
Uh, well, you'd hope not, but these people, they're liable to do any darn thing. Well, it's true. <laughs> They'd have to get cooperation from the, from the other states. You know, I know there are thousands, I mean hundreds of thousands of people in America that are wanted in other states, but most states won't extradite. That means bring you back, spend the money to go get you, got to go into court, go through an extradition hearing. They won't do that uh, for things that are less than major felonies. And so people just say, I'm tired of dealing with this. And they go to another state and you can go to the internet and see what uh, states are in the habit of extraditing for. And it comes down to money. Uh, yeah. I remember uh, having a client one time was wanted in, uh, in, uh, in uh, California. I found out there are hundreds of thousands of people wanted in California that just aren't there. And they haven't extradited them because it's a petty offense, like driving through a parking lot. Well, that's mm. petty. That's so blasted petty. It's the low end of petty. And um, I, I doubt if they'd bother you at all. I just, you know, the wonderful thing that we live in a country, as far as I know, we're the only country in the world like this where it's truly, uh, we're all sovereign. The states are still have that measure of sovereignty. And you can go from one to another. And the only way you can get extradited is if the judge in that state, if you go to an extradition hearing, demand one, the judge has to be convinced that there's probable cause that you've committed a crime or there's some official reason why, or you've had due process. And I've been to hearings like that where the judge says, no, you weren't afforded due process in that other state. And I'm not going to turn you over to them. You boys go pack up your bags and head back to home, head back home. And I've been in extradition hearings, uh, for pe people wanted in Canada. And the question was, was due process observed in the Canadian province? And judge down here in the state says no. And the people up in Canada, the judges up there, have the same privilege if they want to, or the, the same duty. You've got to make a decision. Judges have to make a decision. Has due process been followed? If it hadn't, then, uh, and I'll tell you, it's. I was involved in a case, another case once, where um, was fellows wanted in another state. And uh, he said, well, should I go out and just submit myself? And one well-known criminal defense lawyer had said, yes. I said, well, that makes sense to me. Knowing those folks out there are crazy and dangerous. And I know people can relate to that. The judges are dangerous. And, um, I, the idea was, I said, you know, why, why make it easy for them? If they want you, let them come and get you. And there was a famous episode with Tarzan with Johnny Weissmuller where, uh, I can't remember what the situation was, but these Englishmen were there and they were posing this question to Tarzan about uh, what would you do if these fellows said they were going to come and get you? And he's, he said, well, he, they thought he would say he would go get them. He said, well, I just obliged them to come get me, uh, come get me. I'm certainly not going to go looking for them. And, uh, I've in the United States, that's not bad advice in many cases. <laughs> And again, thank God we live in a country where we, where we have separate sovereignties. Uh, there is still a measure of sovereignty. And we have doctrines that we can use to our advantage here in our own country. Roger or Chris? Um, Brent, yeah, you said a couple of things that triggered me earlier. We're talking about the states uh, versus the federal scope. And now this. Uh, one of my law teachers, a uh, guy, when he wasn't formally trained, but he probably knew more about the law than most attorneys, I can promise you. Gary Bryant was his name. Maybe some of you have come across Gary's work. Um, he used to hammer into me, all property law is state law. Uh-huh. 
Now, right. now, well, it, it's mostly right, except now we learn through the 14th Amendment that the federales have a little property interest going on, too. But as a general rule, Gary's statement, I think, is, cor- is correct. You, you agree. And, and then that gives it a degree of sovereignty right there over the property within the boundaries. True, especially, especially land, real estate. And land. There's a slight difference between the two. Real estate being land that's been developed a little bit somehow, improved upon, whereas land is just uh, stresses the idea that it's land, but especially that. And that's part of our common law tradition. Land is a local concern. That means within the state, registered within the county, etc. Now, when he said property rights are always state rights, uh, that is true, like you say, by and large. But, of course, there are rights we have that are not tangible. And as Jefferson said, we have property in our rights, and we have rights in our property. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, tangible property, such as land, consist of a bundle of rights. That's the way our, mm-hmm. our law has always said it. Mm-hmm. You have the surface rights, the mineral rights, the, the easement rights, Air the farming rights, rights the Air water rights. The what? Oh, yeah, all that. Well, um, all of those things are true, but by and large, for all practical purposes, all property rights are a matter of state court Enforcement, even if you're on, Roger, even if you're on federal land, Bureau of Land Management land, and you have a mining claim under the mining law of 1872, you've claimed uh, mineral rights, those mineral rights are not enforced in the federal courts. No, you enforce those in the state courts. Really? That's axiomatic. Oh, yeah. Everybody in the mining business knows that because that's that's a property right. And the state courts, by the way, remember the state courts are courts of unlimited jurisdiction, mm-hmm. unlimited. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've got a problem, you, the, the state court has a duty to give you a remedy if there isn't one already on the books. And of course, now if it's a, a question over which federal courts could have jurisdiction, either party can remove it to a federal court. And you don't ask permission to do that, and you don't make a motion to do it. You just do it, and you fight it out on the upper level if there's a question. But uh, it's a property right. No, go ahead. Chris? A caveat, and that's under the Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, enumerated powers of federal government to own lands within the corporate states they lie coterminately within. And, of course, they put the caveat in Torre in there that's notwithstanding concurrent federal state uh, selective elective jurisdictional contemplations and felony criminal prosecutions exclusively. Uh, That's a very important consideration that comes to play in private grants of land-made patent lying with the in the boundaries of the physical coterminate uh, corporate state that they are lying within. May also uh, this bring, is a really important differentiation. Also bring in forts, arsenals, and needful buildings, and I know that exact verb that is, 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 is in the Georgia State Constitution. And... Uh, it, it, if people don't know, I'd be shocked if anybody in this audience didn't. But anytime you step into a post office, you're in Washington, D.C. Supposedly, supposedly, if you've got a mailbox on your property, that jurisdiction extends at least to that mailbox. Because if you go out and damage somebody's, it's not the people that bring uh, bring you to to justice. It's the feds for dis- destroying federal property. Well, you, Elvis Presley made that clear. You better not mess with the U.S. mail. That's friend. right. 
The other thing I wanted to say, Brent, was the way the uh, founders originally had the country set up with a limited federal government and the states in their own autonomous control, then it's like you're the, what's going on in California right now. California is getting very oppressive, works hard to find, it's getting expensive, there's all kinds of junkies and homeless everywhere, and people are leaving. Okay, I mean in droves. Uh, Illinois, New York too, New Jersey also, those four principal states. And that's the way that the founders drew the country up. If one state did things better, then the people would migrate over there and, the, and it was a way for the states to achieve positive results <laughs> in competing with each other. No question. No question. What a setup. And a beautiful one. Yes. And people are leaving, for example, Illinois in droves. I mean, by the thousands. And the same thing's going on in California, as you know. The uh, states that are gaining right now are the ones in the Rocky Mountains. For the first time in our history, we are now populating, really populating the Rocky Mountain states. Right. We've never done that. Right. And we know it's West Coast, East Coast. The middle states, by the way, are paying people. Well, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, they are. You can get land in Kansas and Nebraska for nothing. They'll give it to you because it's becoming so desolate in those places. I've even uh, seen some things, North Dakota, South Dakota, where uh, they'll pay, give land to lawyers to come there because there are no lawyers in some of these counties because there's no money there. There are no people there, but the people that are there would like to have legal representation and help drawing up deeds, whatever they got without having to drive 400 miles. So they're, they've got, they've got programs to try to give people their equivalent in a way to small homestead laws. You, they'll give you a lot in a little town or mm -hmm. a few acres to build a house. You know, uh, we were watching those uh, videos that uh, somebody recommended. I can't remember. Somebody on this, on your program here, Europa was one of them. Yes. But it made the point, made the point that in Germany, in order to encourage, what they wanted to do was encourage their own people. And they wanted to separate themselves from the international communist that were didn't that were without a country without a land and they said well we like the idea of socialism but we want to combine it to ourselves and try our own experiment and so they did things like uh, they wanted the population to grow so the government in germany told mothers if you will have children we'll give you a lot of money every child you have we'll give you more and they did that and the population began to grow uh, that's incentive uh, I'm not saying we should do that here, but I'm making the point. Yeah, well, we if should. You give, yeah, well, I, we should. We should. We should not. We should not burden them more, and that's what we're doing. No burden mothers for having children. Make it harder. Right. And just leave them alone. But then we're not even doing that. We're discouraging um, the having of children, and we will go down before it. Go ahead. Putin. Putin recently uh, made a public announcement. If you have three children, they'll give you fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah. So what are they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they listen. I, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. I was only going to say that I'm seeing policies of government and lack thereof, in particular, that are actually using to be drive the herds out of particular areas to give the illusion of abandonment, perhaps actual abandonment in some cases. But if you can drive the people off the land by deprivation or not doing your duty to maintain the infrastructure and to expose them to hazards like the dams collapsing in California, so to speak, uh, which are really, because of not neglect, really being allowed to 
degrade to the point of imploding or collapsing by governmental policy design by diverting the monies for maintaining those that are supposed to be spending to be diverted to other policies like uh, supporting migrants and people who really don't deserve the benefit. Chris, you missed so the most. You missed the most egregious one out of the whole list you laid out, which is having blue lasers dance around your house. Well, yeah, that's in the fires up in the campfire area where they were using directed energy weapons, exactly, to uh, burn people out of their homes up there in the northern <laughs> part of the, the state, uh, which is exactly where the dams are at also. But this is a really dangerous concept when the government becomes a terrorist to drive people off the lands to bring in other aspect of society they might want to uh, under the migration invasion scheme uh, invade this country into the guys that the people have left the land so they need to bring in other inhabitants to provide a tax base and perhaps an invasion force well, i think the invasion force is already there we're going through we're going through revelation on sunday mornings the book Revelation, the last book of the Bible. There's a statement there that tells the story of the purpose of mankind. And he says to mankind in that book, Revelation, he says, because you have wasted, that's the way I'd translate it, wasted the land, I shall waste you. You have wasted the land. Therefore, I shall waste you. And to at common law, waste doesn't mean you go out and destroy things. Uh, waste is letting things alone till they just dilapidate and fall down and and uh, get run down. And land is if you're a trustee of land and you don't take care of it, you don't actively keep it up. That's called waste, and it's actionable. You can be sued for that by beneficiaries, for instance. Well, that's what God says. I don't want you wasting the land. I don't want you just letting it go. I want you to take care of it. I want you to husband the land. And if we as Americans, this is true for all mankind, if we as Americans do not husband our land, whatever responsibility we have, whatever we can do, then we will be wasted. He will waste us. He will let us run down. He will destroy us. That's the fundamental principle of the whole Bible, starting with our grandpa getting thrown off the Garden of Eden. He was given a parcel of real estate, and he wasted it. And so he was thrown off. And the Israelites were given a parcel of real estate called the Land of Canaan, today known as Palestine, and they wasted it on more than one occasion, defiled it, and they were thrown off, thrown out. And then finally, in 70 A.D., they were terminally thrown out. And we are not to be so arrogant and presumptuous as to think that it wouldn't or couldn't happen to us. It can and it will. Uh, remember, said Jesus Christ, three words, remember Lot's wife. I'm reminded of that often. Remember Lot's wife. And she left Sodom, but she couldn't help but look back. And she's dead. It wouldn't, you got to get out of that packing and stacking place and the law you know it comes down to just simply doing what you're told when hell is on its way if you are in the place where hell is going to fall it's going to fall on you you got to get out of that place yep. like las vegas chris you got to get out of there the hell's falling well, <laughs> you better pack I your yeah he's trying i appreciate the counsel that sounds a lot like 
Paramasons Council, uh, I, register under your own name, but find someplace else to hang out for a while. I, tell I, don't, him, I don't disregard that. I tell him that I will all the point time. Out, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going to point out, I think that's relevant. He said, this is really not just a traffic matter. And I've been making the case uh, continually throughout the thing. This was a special operations by the Joint Terrorism Task Force stalking me particularly, looking for a pretext to provoke me to violence so they could murder me. Title 18 U.S.C. 1117, conspiracy to commit murder. And it goes back even to, well, you were talking about the black widow syndrome of the female species being more lethal, of her colluding with the police or being induced or uh, coerced, terrorized, bribed, or threatened. Uh, to cooperate with him under the guise of voluntary participation, being drug in to give evidence against me in the first place to fabricate a false claim to alleviate the county's manifest monstrous liability for false arrest and false incarceration. And the fact that they came out and did an egregious abuse of deadly force to steal property, and this invokes this new uh, 9-0 in Bonk decision in the Supreme Court in Tyler Timms versus Illinois, uh, another corrupt state, of course, and I think pro- probably a political reactive solution to this uh, negative asset seizure of expansive financial resources and the pretextual minuscule fines, much the same as in that particular case there at my home. And Chris, so, yeah, go yes, go ahead. Go ahead. No, uh, no there, I want you to finish. There was a good case in Pennsylvania on this asset seizures or the other stuff just recent this week. Go ahead, Chris, and if we need to, we can talk about it. <laughs> well, I'm very interested in hearing about that Pennsylvania case. I track all these things, and that Tyler Kim's was not inconsequential, inconsequential because they cited particularly Eighth Amendment cruel and unusual punishments and taking huge resources under the scope of minuscule violations or traffic infractions in particular. I like parking on your own private property for one. <laughs> it, um, it's pretty insane. This, uh, this case in Pennsylvania that the judge overturned was on a, a police outfit uh, doing the seizure stuff, and they got a guy for heroin or something. I think he just had it in his house and was using it. I don't remember from the article, but regardless, they came in and they seized big 60-inch TV screens, and, and they went out and they got a Mercedes. He had seven cars, and they got a Mercedes and a Chevy Nova or something. And when the judge went in and examined it, the, the cars were not used in him acquiring or dispensing drugs. Okay, so the judge went in and you know what they found between the commonality between the Mercedes and the Nova of all the seven cars? Oh, was it right? They didn't have a lien against them. (laughs) 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 And he overturned the whole thing and admonished them real good, Chris. If I'd have known you were saving those articles, I'd have saved it. It was over on... uh, uh, what really happened? Uh, I think I saw it last night. So uh, anyway, the the worms changing around a little bit. People, you know, we're seeing some of these court decisions come that I don't believe we'd have seen 10, 12 years ago. Okay, do you sense that too, Brent? Oh yeah, uh, I, I, no question. This whole civil civil fortune. What in the world? But you pulling this stuff out of their wazoo's? I get. 
<laughs> it's it's so it's so crazy. You don't even want to talk about. It. You know, it's a fiction that comes out of Admiralty law. Uh, it's ancient, ancient fiction. Private. It says if if you get a ship, if a ship comes into port and there's smug and then there's smug, they find smuggled goods on board. That they can just take the whole ship because the ship is guilty somehow. That comes from our pagan past. That's not a Christian that, concept. The, yeah, that, the in, ship is guilty. It's ancient. Babylonian, now, go ahead. That's called in rim jurisdiction, correct? Well, yeah. And, you know, we used to read these old cases in law school. Um, the state of, uh, of uh, Michigan versus a 1936 Plymouth Cadillac. Right, you know? right. <laughs> come on. I thought when I first saw that, I thought, what in the world's that all about? Well, you come to find out back during prohibition, if you were using a car to run moonshine or white mule, as they used to call it, then, uh, you could confiscate that as, as though the thing were guilty of something. We'll see this whole madness that inanimate objects, non-persons, even animals, uh, have mind, will, and emotion and can be guilty of crime it has crept into our whole thinking to where uh, our presidents now declare war on things and not people. Yeah. Uh, de- a war on poverty, war on crime or, or drugs, war on uh, whatever. And then uh, talk about guns as though uh, somebody said to me, me the other day, well, the problem is it'd be like sheep seeing a wolf kill one of their flock and say, well, you know what we need to do? We need to all extract our teeth because teeth are the problem. So yeah, all right. the sheep go out and crack their teeth. Well, that's the madness of what they're doing, saying we're going to take guns from all these law-abiding citizens. Uh, we're going to do that because that's the problem. Well, the guns aren't the problem. As simple as and, and silly as it sounds to some people, guns don't kill people. That's no. true. They don't. People, men are evil. Men are the ones that are the problem. Evil doesn't flow. It's the whole idea, too, of this, as though evil floats around in the air and attaches to things and is an abstract concept that's that that's dangerous. It's not. Evil is not an abstract concept. What do I mean when I say that? I mean evil is what men are. That's the problem. Men are evil. And they get worse. And when they get bad enough, reach a certain level, we got to do something about it. And we're not attacking things. And that's like, as, to use another analogy, I used to walk the fields, the bean fields, and I'd have a, a corn knife and my father would have a corn knife my brother would have a corn knife and and my brother and i'd see a cucklebur and we'd whack her down get her down closer we just whack her off and dad'd say now wait a minute boys that won't work why not well you're not you're you're just dealing with the thing you gotta you gotta you gotta hack it out you gotta pull it out by the roots and not only that after you pull it by, out by the roots you can't lay it back down on the ground because the roots will crawl back into the soil and the thing will pop back up again and they do cuckleburrs do that we had to we had to pull them out by the roots and lay them on top of the bean rows. That's the only way you can kill a cucklebur. And if you're foolish enough to hack off limbs or just hack the thing off and not chop it out, pull it out by the root and then lay it up where the root can't get back to the ground. And if you're foolish enough to go after things instead of men, if you're foolish enough to try to destroy an ideology by killing people as we did in Vietnam or as we did in Korea, you're wasting your time. That that ideologies aren't the problem. Uh, men are the problem, and it, it comes back to back to recognizing this something we have lost since the Reformation. The Reformation taught us and brought back to our understanding as a people that we are the problem. We have met the enemy, and he is us. Uh, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, the old song used to say. I heard a fellow talking yesterday on YouTube, and he was saying, you know what I learned growing up? 
I learned that my biggest problem is me. And if your biggest problem isn't you, then you're not going to do well because you're constantly, you're constantly going to be blaming your problems on, on others. other things yeah. or other people. But it comes back to the, the imperfections that I have or my problem. That's why the Bible says, I said it a while ago, that Mark, one of the chief badges of having been born from above is that you are a persistent confessor of your law breaking. The Bible says of Daniel the prophet that three times a day he'd be out on the balcony there, wherever he did it, speaking, three things, speaking and praying and confessing his sins. Now here's a man in the Bible of which we have nothing recorded anywhere that we know of, of any fault that he ever had. But yet it says he was speaking and praying, confessing his sins. You don't have to do it to other men. Start with just doing it to your maker. You'd be surprised what it will do for your life and your satisfaction and your psyche. They say confession is good for the soul and guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And it does. It doesn't stop. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. Use it. Respond to it properly and agree with your maker that you're falling short of what he wants you to do because you are. You have and you'll continue to do it and keep saying it. And the only way he can ever bring adjustment to your life and make it better is if you're willing, number one, to admit it to him. No, not to yourself. To him. That's what it says. And admitting it to yourself is not enough. Back to you, Roger. You're saying that we all need a Jewish mother so we can get that guilt heaped on us. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that they, they actually take that point of view about their own depravity. There is no, there is no, there is no overestimating the blackness of the heart of the individual man and woman period. And if you aren't willing to accept that, that tells me you're not born from above. Yeah, man's because heart. that's what God says. Yeah, oh, desperately wicked, says Jeremiah. And that's our problem. What is desperately wicked? That doesn't mean it looks wicked. That doesn't mean that you can't do things that are good uh, on the human level. It doesn't mean that you're not a benefa uh, benefactor to your society. It means you can do nothing good that will bring you any favor with your maker. That's what depravity means. It doesn't mean you can't do good. On the human level, back to you, Roger. Uh, I, I remember hearing the old saying, Brent, that when you point one finger out, there's three pointing back at you. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to point the finger at Samuel because he joined us a minute ago, and I hadn't even got to recognize him. He's one of our newer – he's not a new listener, but he's a newer participant, and he's in the process of moving on this paperwork and stuff. Hey, Samuel, how are you doing today? Hi, Roger. Good. Uh, I had a couple questions for Brent. Um I was wondering if there's like an association of uh, common law lawyers throughout the land where maybe I could keep contact somebody close to me uh, that in his thinking and understanding. No, no, I'm no. just to, just no, just to elaborate You're a little bit on that. All lawyers in common law countries are common lawyers. Most of them don't know that, and most of them never heard the word. There was a time in the history of our um, our, uh, our common law world where all lawyers were called commoners. Commoners, that's short for common lawyer. And all lawyers of law of the city countries, which are most of the countries in the world, were called civilians. There were civilians, and there were commoners. Civilian is a word that derives from the Latin word that has to do with the civis, the civilis, civilization, the city, belonging to the 
to the city law and religion government, the mother city, the metropolis, as the Greeks would say. And all that that's civilians, civilian. Uh, we, uh, in in uh, common law countries, they're called commoners. Most lawyers in common law countries today in America don't have a clue about that. Now, in uh, England and in Canada and Australia, they're more familiar with it. They call themselves common lawyers, and uh, they understand that a little more. I don't know whether they're taught it in their schools or what what it is, but they know that. Of course, they're the ends of court in England, where that's still still taught, still taught. But we are common lawyers. Uh, there is a movement afoot, of course, to do away with any any sense of the difference of the two great traditions of religion, law, and government that have always been with mankind and always will be the the law of the land and the law of the city. Um, those are the two. There are no others. Everyone is on that spectrum, uh, tending toward the one or tending toward the other. There isn't anything else. I'm not the first one to have said that. It's a ruse and a distraction to say there are many kinds of governments, many kinds of religion. There aren't. There's only two. Never have been more than two. And the Bible says that also. But the, the one thing that's not taught in American law schools anymore, used to be a required course in the not-too-distant past, was comparative law. Comparative law is the study of those two traditions of religion, law, and government, the law of the land versus the law of the city. The law of the city is best known throughout the world now as the Code of Justinian and the Canon Law of the Church of Rome. Those are uh, fundamentally the same, that's the same code, fundamentally in principle, and it's the same law. It's the law of the old Roman, Roman Empire that reached the zenith of its expression, uh, uh, under the Emperor Justinian, uh, when he under his and his legal beagles compiled all of the rescripts and the decrees and the commands of the law of the city world, going clear back to Babylon and saying they'd put it together and it's the perfect expression of reason and balance and beauty and eloquence. Precision. Well, the law of precision was what it was all about, it, and that's what the Nazis took up with the Code of Justinian and renamed it the Code of Bismarck, and then J-Pan, uh, she received the Code of Bismarck, and that's why she had the imperial government able to do what she did, and all the communist countries are in the, under the Code of Bismarck. But there are lawyers out there, amazingly, uh, Christian law schools in America. It's, it's, it's almost funny now that I look at it from looking back. Trying to start Christian law schools don't have a clue what they're doing. Christian folks, well, well, well learned theologians do this. Uh, they know a lot about theology. They don't, theology, by the way, in, in the West is the product of the law of the city. John Calvin, he was the foremost civilian in the world of his day, as was, as was his father before him, both of them educated at Orleans in France. And they, he became a chief reformer. And, he brought to the continent of Europe uh, an approach to the Bible was the same approach they would approach the Code of Justinian with. That was all good. That was very rational, very good. But at the same time, he didn't understand government, and he admitted it in his commentary to Seneca. He admitted, I, I, there's something missing here. I don't know what it is. Well, what it was was common law. And Geneva became the Rome of Protestantism because he was there, and he was exerting the principles of Rome Romanism, Martin Luther, same way, he was a trained, not only as a lawyer, a civilian, but also trained as a Roman priest, and a Roman priest is a civilian, period. A highly trained civilian, I might add, and the Jesuits are at the head of all those highly trained civilian lawyers, and uh, the ends justifies the means. Well, that, that means torture is okay. That's right. all part of the law of the city. Go ahead. That's scary. Yeah, um, scary. But, yeah, Roger. I'll take a breather. Okay. That's okay. Um, did that answer your question? I wanted to tell you, in case you, and the others that don't know, the reason we have these Friday programs is because of your question right there, Samuel. And that's because I 
I understood <laughs> when we started here four or five years ago that when you file this paperwork, theoretically, you move back over under that common law and the feds lose that 14th Amendment long-arm <laughs> jurisdiction on you. And I knew that those principles had been swept under the rug because I, my personal experience, you know, six months of paralegal school and they had one mention of common law in six months and it said common law is case law. That's the extent that common law was covered in six months paralegal school, okay? And I knew there was a void there and I reached out to Brent and I originally wanted to get him and John on, on together and do a program. It would have been fabulous with those two banks of knowledge coming together, but suffice it, it, Brent and I have carried the banner here for a number of years, but that's the reason this whole thing started is because of Brent's expertise in that long lost area of knowledge called the common law, which is what our enemies hate. Our enemies cannot deal with and hate the common law, and that's why they gotta come in and overlap this law of the city over it where they can control us. You know, I had a lady out of Canada uh, contact me and she says, is there a counterpart like you in Canada? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I could think of one fella, but he didn't have any Christian sensibilities. I'd read some of his stuff and he made, made the difference between the commoner and the civilian. But it's not that I know so much about it, and I've known men that have uh, been much more learned than myself. I've known lawyers here in this country that have practiced the common law intensely and not didn't even know what they were doing, didn't know there was a difference. Uh, I got onto the idea that there's a difference, and so I've, I've made uh, comparative law, as it used to be called, a uh, focus of a lot of what I do because, I, I, well, it, it interests me. And I've come to discover that uh, we as Americans are distinguished from the rest of the world because we are a common law country. We don't even know it. We don't even understand. And most of us, no. lawyers, judges, don't know squat. Oh, they just think, well, it doesn't make any difference. Just so justice is done. Well, that doesn't mean anything, of course. What's justice? Uh, depends on how you define it. But the laws of nature, unwritten in the nature of things, lex non scripta, says Blackstone in his first volume, and the laws of nature's God written in the Bible, lex scripta, says Blackstone, these two volumes, these and no others, these and no more, are our fundamental laws, Americans. And if we lose it, as we are losing our sensibility to that, everything we have will be gone. All of our freedoms will be gone. All of our prosperity and wealth, we've been the greatest engine of wealth and prosperity the world has ever known because our common law tradition, we brought it back, not forward, back again to the principles of the Anglo-Saxons, the Danes, and the Celts of ancient Britain. That's what we brought it back to. Magna Carta tried to bring it back to that also, back to pre-1066 England. Uh, the English Bill of Rights tried to bring it back. The Councils of Clarendon tried to bring it back. John Wycliffe, when translating the Bible into English for the first time, tried to bring it back. He said so. He understood exactly what he was doing. He said we must teach that we must supplant the common law at Oxford or the, the the civil law, the law of the city at Oxford with our with the teaching of common law. And we must get the Bible into English, the laws of nature and the laws of nature's God. He, he understood entirely. Wycliffe was so far ahead of his time. He taught all the doctrines that the reformers later taught. He was the only one that did. He taught the dominion, the lordship to take over land. He taught that there is no mediator between God and man, no priesthood, no church, no institution, just man, the individual man, uh, 
having a direct communication with his God through the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's what Wycliffe taught. There is no other mediator. There is no Mother Virgin Mary. There is no church. And, of course, for that, he was uh, his bones were later dug up and burned. They didn't yep. get to him before he kicked the bucket. The poor guy, he beat him to the punch and died before they could get to him. So they had to dig <laughs> him up, burn his bones. It's crazy, isn't it, yep. what the evil empire does? Boy, but at any rate, that's the that. grand distinction. Go to that kind of a links shows. Uh, I think that would exemplify today's uh, the definition of today's word hate that's thrown around so damned liberally. Samuel, one day uh, a couple of years back, a guy called into the program. He was from Delaware, and he I don't remember if he'd gotten turned on with that video that I keep ta- telling y'all to listen to, the science of law. But I think he had listened to that and stumbled on it, and he said, man, I keep listening to that over and over and over again. And he said, listen, I know exactly what you're talking about on this common law stuff because I'm a process server, and I serve those common law writs every day. So it's wow. still there, and it's still in use. Yeah, we, we have all the machinery in place. We just don't know what it is. And if we don't see, you can't understand our common law unless you see it side by side in contrast to its great antagonist. Its great antagonist is the law of the city. It's been said by comparative lawyers for centuries, our common law is only known in adversity. You don't even know what it is. The people that complained against the common law in America back in the 18, uh, after the war of 1812, there was a movement on in America to get rid of our common law, and the people that were trying to do it said, we hate everything English. We just went to war with Englishmen. We're throwing it all out. We're throwing out the common law. Why? Well, they said, you don't even know what the common law is until the judge pronounces it. That's exactly right. Because due process is our common law. The way we serve papers, that's the way. It's, it's, it's a road. It's a path. It's a course you get on. It's how you do it. Not what you do, but how you do it. That's our common law. That's why due process is the most important right our Constitution mentions, because our Constitution is a brief of common law government, and no man's life, liberty, or property, or combination thereof shall be taken, except by what? Due process of law. And what it says in Article 6, then? It says, this is the supreme law of the land. What's the supreme law of the land? Due process. Uh, The phrase supreme law of the land, lifted from Magna Carta, means due process. That was their phrase for due process. Our common law does not include due process. Our common law is due process. It's not a list of rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts. It's 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 a sensibility to the process that is due and owing to all concerned, of course. That's why the Bible says, uh, it speaks of the way and the paths. And Jesus Christ said, I'm the way. He didn't say I'm a list of laws. I'm a way. The word Torah, the most fundamental word of the Hebrew Old Testament used to speak of law is from a verb, yarath, that means the way pointed out with the index finger. It all comes back to the way, the course. The most popular book in the English-speaking world for many, many decades Right behind the Bible was a book called Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan is the author. Well, it's about progress. It's about a course that he gets on and how it's important that he sticks to that course and not deviate from it, which he did do a few times. He tells about the problems he had when he took a frolic from the course, thought he'd take a break, thought he found a shortcut. There are no shortcuts. You come in through the gate, 
and you follow the course. That's our common law. That's our maker's way of living. You know, I, I used to tell my children, and I know it's true of me as a child also, it wasn't it wasn't so egregious that I would disobey my parents or not remember to follow the directions. The egregious thing was how I went about doing that and my attitude toward them. It's the way you see that's important. And you can do a lot. I, I still tell um, my children, you can say anything you want to me, but you can do it the right way. You can't come at me screaming. You can't come at me cussing. You can't come at me. I, I'm going to get rid of you. And by the way, if you go into the courtroom, it's the same thing. It's all about the way you approach the court. It's not about what you ask the court to do. It's how you do it. No judge is going to listen to anybody come in telling him off. It ain't going to happen. Hadn't happened. Won't happen. Why? That's the way God made us. And by the way, God's the same way. Way, W-A-Y, his manner that he wants. You come with your hat in your hand. That's why the Bible says, honor all men. It doesn't mean you aren't going to have differences. doesn't mean you're not going to have some showdowns. It means that you don't disrespect the other fella. You don't torture him. You don't misabuse him. You be decent, even if he's your arch enemy. Do what you got to do. If he's trying to kill you, you may have to kill him. But you remember that God made him and made him in his own magio. He looks like him. He acts like him. He has characteristics like the maker of heaven and earth himself. Back to you, Roger. Well, that's where the, the, the socialists and leftists and the Frankfurt School people have short-sheeted this whole process. You get, you, you get in a discussion to put forward facts that everybody agrees on so you can move the discussion forward and every, everybody's understanding. I mean, that, that's the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? Well, sure. Uh, facts are not some things. Facts are everything. Right. The consequences will take care of themselves. Well, you can't have a discussion with somebody that's screaming labels at you, that won't oh, listen to anything right. you're going right. to say, won't recognize any facts that are put in front of them, and don't even understand the definitions of the labels they're hurling and laying on you. That's why you don't talk to people like that's that. Right. You don't get into de- you don't get into debates that have denied fundamental reality to start the debate. You're well, wasting your time. You know, yeah. the, here's the deal. Never wrestle with a pig. All you can do is get dirty, and the pig likes it. Yeah, you give them a chance to air their stupidity. And as the Bible says, whether they rage or whether they laugh, there will be no peace. I don't care what you say to people like that. They'll either laugh at you or they'll rage at you. It doesn't make any difference. Just look at politics and the, the, the wackos on the left. It makes no difference what the facts bounce off of them and they either rage and bring in people to beat you up or they laugh at you and make fun of you. That's because they're agenda-driven. Stay away from them them because the means justifies the ends. Laughter, abuse, murder, they don't care, just so they get what they want and they will stop at nothing. One time, uh, who was it? Churchill, they say, asked Stalin, when are you going to stop killing people? And he said, when it's no longer necessary. That's the law of the city. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, and that's what we see here with these elements of the left. We're not going to get rid of them. 
But we need to have the machinery in place and the mindset, a critical mass of the mindset that says no. And once the way to get that mindset is to just see clearly that there are two traditions of religion, law, and government in the world, and we're either tending toward the one or the other. Every person is either tending toward the one or the other. There is no other. There are no other options. Never have been any other options. Jesus Christ said, you're either for me or you're against me. There are saints and there are ain'ts. There is up and there is down. There's heaven and there's hell, period. How do I know? Well, John the Apostle says so, and he says it in terms just that strong. Read the book of 1 John. There are no gray areas there. He just says this is what it is, in or out. He who has the Son, he who hath the Son, to put it in the old English, he who hath the Son hath life. And he who hath not the Son of God hath not life. And the wrath of God hangs over him. That's a terrible position to be in, but there are no other two positions. You're either in or you're out. You either are standing under hanging judgment or you aren't. Which is it? You gotta make up your mind. You gotta make up your choice. You've gotta you've got to declare your position and if you don't stick to it, it won't do you any good. Uh the Turks took that argument yesterday and wielded it unmercifully. <laughs> it's, what they say? it's brilliant, man. Uh, all this stuff with Syria and the Kurds and the Turks and the immigrants uh-huh. and all, all that stuff that's been going on over there for all these years, right? Well, now Russia yeah. has stepped in and stabilized it by putting this advanced missile system over there in Syria and scaring the bejesus out of the Israelis and the U.S. because they don't have anything that can overcome it. So now oh. Russia has done the same thing with Turkey. And they put those missile batteries in Turkey also. And the U.S. is trying to flex their muscles. And they said, well, you're a member of NATO. What are you doing taking this from Russia? We just won't let you have any more of these F-35 planes that you think you're going to get. And so Pence was, uh, Trump used him to deliver the message. And Erdogan came back and said, this is brilliant. You're either with the terrorists or you're with us because the U.S. <laughs> is sponsoring all the terrorists. <laughs> That's a, a restatement of George Bush's. You're either with yes. us or against us. Yes. He's stating the creators, and he was talking about you're either with the evil side, the deep state, or the militant industrial complex, or you're against us. Uh, rephrasing uh, the statement sure. of Christ. Yep. <laughs> it's it's, it's it's polar opposite, but it's insane. It's illogical. Well, the communists, the communists use that pretty good, too. Go ahead, Brent. Well, I was going to ask, who was it that said, lead, follow, or get out of the way? That was Ted Turner. Oh, of well, he was people, right on that point. Of all people, Ted Turner. And don't forget, <laughs> I was in Atlanta, you know. I lived in Atlanta when all that when he was developing Channel 17 and the old movies and bought the Braves, and, and I was in media. So I was around that peripherally, you know. I dealt with uh-huh. several people that did all the announcing for uh, for CNN, a guys, guy named Tullis, who you never, nobody ever heard of. He's dead now. But uh, uh, I had a lot, some interaction with them back in those days. And, and uh, Turner's a pretty colorful guy. I mean, I don't agree with him. Obviously, he got real liberal and... Uh, sucked in with these people as he got older, but uh, but he uh, was a real pioneer, very colorful guy. Well, it was his. He kind of took that over from his father down yeah, there in bill, Atlanta. Billboard. His daddy owned a billboard business. Yeah. Promotion business. Yeah. 
Well, that if you're going to carry the flag, you may as well get out of the parade. And if you're out of the parade, you're sidelined. So neutrality has never been an option for anyone. It's a, it's a myth of the evil empire that neutrality is an option. I hear people say, well, those people can go bump body parts if they want, men and men, men, women and women. That doesn't bother me. I, well, it doesn't work that way. No, they have to have your approval, and they'll get it, or they'll declare war on you. Um, that's what the Bible says will happen, Romans chapter 1. They must have that hearty approval. They're not going to get it from their maker, so they have to have it from other men. And if other men don't give it to them, their, their guilt drives them to get it or destroy those that won't give it to them. And that's what they're out to do. That's a very so good gotta, description, Brent. Yeah. That's a very good yeah. description of that you just laid out. Well, I see it happening. Yep, I me think. too. I How think do. All, all of us yeah. do. All of us do. Uh-huh. And uh, it comes down to people. Go ahead, Roger. Well, I was going to defer to Samuel. I didn't. Uh, if he had yeah. other comments or questions, I didn't want us to get babbling here and and trot no, over. No. Yeah, I had I had two more. I I wanted Brent to comment on the use of the word dominion in our in a document, which they like an affidavit, and to comment on Robert's rules of order. <laughs> All I know about Robert's rule of rules of order, I learned in FFA. And that doesn't stand for Federal Financial Assistance. That stands for Future Farmers of America. I was in FFA, and that was a big deal in FFA. I don't know why they made such a big deal, but it wasn't a bad thing. Um, there was a, a sign up on the wall in ag class, I remember, and it said, uh, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. That one stuck with me. A fella needs to do something, then he needs to say something. And uh, he, he neutrality, again, is not a... Option. We had a good ag teacher, Squire Don Boyer. Uh, I remember him well. He was he took over the bull business from my granddad and my dad when they quit it. They were in the bull business renting bulls out. But that that's all I know about Robert's Rules of Order. But I think that Robert's Rules of Order is a matter of due process. Matter of fact, um, Sam Rayburn was Speaker of the House for a long, long time. And somebody asked him one time, said, well, how is it you can get so much done here in Congress? And he said... Um, Parliamentary procedure, my friend, parliamentary procedure. That's how he got his way, because he knew it, see, better than others, he thought, anyway. Well, I bring it up, which is, yes, we used it at FFA, we used it in 4-H, and uh -huh. I think the Boy Scouts use it, I wasn't the Boy Scout, but in our local meetings, they run you over and you get, they give you this short time to speak, etc., and it, it's without order. You know? Oh, yeah, they... Yeah, they're, they're, they're lawless, just utterly, and no order, no. You know, the very definition, uh, uh, what state were you in, by the way, in the FFA? Uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Back when I was in FFA, uh, every boy in school was in FFA because we all lived on farms. You know? I, don't think that's, I don't think that's true anymore. That's, and that's part of our problem in America. We need a core of people that are close to the down to the ground. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And we've lost that. But the other question you had about Dominion, I wanted to make a comment about that. I appreciate you bringing it up. Uh, John Wycliffe wrote his most famous writing was about Dominion. And that is a Latin word. And the English equivalent is lordship. Just lordship. It's not a negative word. It doesn't mean to dominate men. Matter of fact, it means to dominate the land. That's what it means in the Bible. And that's what man's purpose is. And um, the great distinction between the law of the land and the law of the city 
is the law of the land uh, demands that dominate the land. The law of the city demands that men dominate each other. And the madness, of course, that comes from that is revolution, revolving domination and redomination. That's what politics is all about. We kick your butt, you kick ours, we take your stuff, you take ours. Like Bastiat said in France, it's just been round and round and round. It's just plunder. We plunder you, you plunder us, we plunder you, you plunder us. That's why it's called revolution. The common law is fundamentally Christian. A justice story observed that. Many men through history have observed that. Many jurists. And because it's fundamentally Christian, it follows the fundamental tenet of the Bible, which is man was put here to take lordship over the most precious possession, the most precious creation God has given to man, and that is the land. And the land, if it's if it's if we take lordship over it according to his terms, and that was the covenant given to our granddad, Adam, with his parcel of real estate. That's what we're called to do, and that is the fundamental reason that man is here. And that's why we start out that way in the Bible, and when we get to the book of Revelation, as I mentioned a while ago, at the end of the Bible and the other lid of the Bible, it says that men who waste the land, God will waste them terminally. That's the, the idea, because it all comes back to land. And also in that book, Revelation, Jesus Christ is given and opens the title deeds to all the land of the earth. And the reason he's done that, because he is... He comes to do and does do what the first Adam, the first man, failed to do. And that's exactly what it says. Adam is supposed to spread out and take dominion over the land. And stacking and packing in cities won't get that done. And that's why, of course, also the book of Revelation, in the end, there will be no more cities except the one city, just one. That's Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. There will be no more cities. And it comes down out of the skies, by the way. It's not the one over there in, in Palestine. It comes down out of the skies. There will be no more cities, and there will be no more seas. So there will be no need of admiralty law, and there will be no need of the city law, the law of the city. There is only the law of the land, and men doing what God put them here to do, taking care of his land, keep it, as he said to our grandpa Adam, dress it and keep it and guard it, shamer in the Hebrew. It means to actively safeguard a very, that, that word's used hundreds of times throughout the Bible, shamer. For example, the concept is in the New Testament where it says that wives are to be, and the old translation says, keepers at home. Uh, that has a, a connotation now that it didn't used to have. What the Greek word there means is not, we, we wouldn't say keepers at home, we'd say home guard. Home guard. Uh, that's what the word means. It's the answer to the Old Testament shamer. It means to guard the home actively, as Adam was to guard the garden and didn't do it. The woman is called to do that in her own bailiwick in her own household, and she's responsible for every, as he is too when he's there, he's responsible for everything that comes through the door, in the window, is piped in through the internet, he's responsible, and he's not to let anything in there that pollutes or defiles that particular bailiwick. And that's real estate, that's the land that the Lord your God has given you. I don't care whether you live under a bridge, or whether you live in an apartment that you've rented, or whether you're staying in your mother's house, you have a certain right to be there. That means you have a right in real estate. You better deal with it the way your maker tells you to deal with it. I don't care how small it looks or how weak your title or your right in it is. It's yours. God allows you to have it. Don't or, or take it seriously. Do not take it flippantly. But lordship, a dominion, is the chief trust settlement 
of that organizes around which all of the law of God revolves. That's the number one. It's a trust settlement. That's the number one legal principle. The do's and don'ts of the law fall under that. I think uh, Samuel, one of the most valuable synthesized statements that Brent has brought us for for me is because I, I love simplicity because you can understand it, especially duality simplicities because they're easy to compare. And this one that he brings us with the, the common law is we're dictated to conquer the land and dominate the land. And the law of the city, you're dictated to conquer and dominate your fellow man and then worship the land. It's yeah, a very yeah, interesting back. dichotomy, yeah. okay? And it lays it out very simply, very understandably, and very plainly. Jesus Christ said, do not be as the nations, the nations who seek to dominate one another. Well, that's men dominating men. And the greatest among you shall be your servant. Jesus Christ calls us to serve our fellow man and dominate the creation, the land more particularly, whereas the law of the city says, no, 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 no. You you dominate your fellow man, and you worship and serve creation. And that's what we see happening with and, and, the and, modern environmentalist movement. And that it. law of the city incorporates Romanism, Islamism, and Judaism, all three. Uh, yeah, well, they're just different labels for the same thing. That's right. Same fundamental law. And it comes down to a scholasticism. And if I'm going to make a living, i got to somehow get my money from somebody else, and I don't think about or depend upon the idea that God has given it to us through the land. There is no other way to get wealth. You either worry it out of the mountains, as uh, the miner does, or you coax it from the soil, and all that we have arises from that, and the value that we add to that with labor, it all comes back to our, to recognizing constantly that the raw materials that God gives us, he gives it to, we can't have anything uh, unless we are willing to take lordship over the land, I'm amazed at the wealth. They were saying, oh, there is no more oil. And then they said, well, we've discovered the biggest oil field up in North Dakota that we've ever discovered in the whole history of mankind. And then not long after that, they found another pay zone down in West Texas. Yep. I've been down there recently. Places crawling with the, the wilderness, I call it out there, crawling with thousands of men. They yep. can't even find anything to eat. There are so many men out there. I went to a gas station recently out there, and a little tiny gas station. I was just utterly overwhelmed with the men in there looking for something to eat and I, this lady told me that worked there she said we can't keep the food in this place she was mad about it i said don't be mad you're making money i said you're the only outlet out here serving hot dogs and they'll eat the hot dogs you know but yeah we've got a big oil field down there and i read not too many years ago only it couldn't be more than it has to be less and 5% of the recoverable gold in the lower 48 states has been recovered. It couldn't be more than 5%, said the United States Geological Survey. Well, that's just a fact. We haven't even begun yep. to scratch the surface of what this land, uh, all land, has for us on the face of this place we call Earth. Well, how about that little country just south of me called Bolivia that's always been destitute? Oh, and in the future, yeah. they're probably going to be the energy center of the planet with their lithium supply down there. Well, that's a big deal, needing batteries to store uh, store energy and all these wind farms. That's a very big deal. But th consider Russia. Russia has one sixth oh. of, the, of the surface of the land of the earth. One sixth. Yet for 70 years, those people were starving. They had the lot. Yeah. Yeah. They had 
Uh, all They had more gold, more oil, more coal, more farmland, more timber than any country in the world and starving. And the reason they were starving was because they had received uh, the law of the city. Yep. And that happened before communism, by the way. Communism kept it they, because it allows – yeah, go ahead. It allowed them to murder most of the people that could do any of the exploitation. Brent, tell them how to get more of Brent Winters real quick here before we start whistling. Well, thank you, Roger, and appreciate all the folks who called in the comments. That makes it lively for us. And uh, commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com. Join us on Saturday mornings. On Saturday mornings, we've finished our 45 weeks of the law of evidence. Now we're on the common law of promises, the law of promises, sometimes called the law of contracts. We just started that. We're into that now. That's on Saturday mornings. And then on Sunday mornings, we're in. We just began the Book of Revelation. We'd covered the other four writings of John the Apostle. Now we're we're into that one. Uh, join us on Sunday mornings. You can see how to join us by going to CommonLawyer.com, and it tells you under the Events button uh, how to. Well, there are links there. You can click on them, and you can access. Uh, you can watch me on the on the internet, or you can listen on the telephone. I think the numbers are there. You get very animated, too, because Greg sent me some pictures off of one the other day. <laughs> oh, I do. You know what I did, Roger? I was sitting down for a few years doing that, and I finally said, I think if I stand up, uh -huh. I'll, I'll be more Much lively. Better. And I no, stood up, I was more lively. I love teaching. Yeah. I, when I was teaching, I always had to pace. Now, listen, I've, maybe I can get this story. There's a famous, famous Civil War professor at LSU who – the first half, the last lecture of the first half, he would give the first lecture of the Civil War, and he'd come dressed in a Confederate uniform, and he'd act the part and walk around, and he was walking around teaching, and he stepped one foot in the trash basket, and he couldn't get it <laughs> loose, and he kept teaching and walking around with a trash basket on one foot. It was legendary. Thank you, Brent. We always uh, get a lot out of your appearances with us, and uh, you have a good week. Weekend, you'll be doing your thing, and uh, we'll see you guys back Monday. Uh, interesting times we live in. Thanks for being with us, Chris and Samuel. Thanks for your contribution. We'll see you guys on Monday. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, fellas. God bless America. We need it. Ooh.